Thanks for joining the Capital Church podcast channel. For more resources and to learn more about Capital Church, please visit our website at capitalchurch.co or send us an email at info at Hey, honestly, great to be here. My wife of uh, 40-some years, Sharon, why don't you stand so they can see that I'm married here. We're married. We have four children, a measly two grandchildren. You know, talking to Ken, you know, it's just not even fair. Um, We have uh, been on a journey for a long time, pastoring and leading, and with lifelong friends like Mike Heron. Uh, Mike and I started in Bible college and four decades later, or over four decades, uh, still friends, ministering, and uh, Mike's a marvelous, prophetic, preaching, teaching. Uh, Give Mike Heron a big hand this morning and say, thank you, Mike. Uh, You you won't want to miss tonight, again, where Mike unleashes his gift upon the congregation, and uh, so great to be with Ken and Connie, obviously long, lifelong friends, and, uh, and, and Chris and Kelly and, and their family, uh, Waverly, Riley, and the other 17. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's my honor and privilege to be here. Uh, the uh, church here is a great church. You're a great church. Uh, you know, I, I travel now. That's our life. That's what we do. Um, and different churches every, almost every weekend. You know, next weekend is Calgary. The following is, you know, just starts going like that. Um, we see and feel a lot of atmospheres. And this is a great atmosphere. And because I'm a teacher-preacher kind of a guy, uh, I'm a word person, so I get in the word, and that's what I do. Some churches don't know how to lean in. They, they, they don't take notes. They don't respond. They don't say amen. It's like preaching to Ezekiel's dead bones that never come alive. Uh, you know, they, it's, it's just, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough preach. Uh, why? Because they're not used to this kind of preaching or teaching in the Bible, and, you know, they never turn to it. They never even, they don't even use their phone to take a picture of the slide. Uh, but here at this church, uh, you lean in so well. You're, you're a great congregation to preach to. Uh, and it's really, the congregation makes the sermon more than the sermon makes the congregation. Uh, it, it's your response. It's your lean in. It's your attitude, spirit, and heart. And that is a, uh, uh, a great thing that you have in the church with Chris Wilde being a teaching pastor and before him, obviously, Ken. Uh, but Chris now is senior pastor, teaching pastor, word man. You're used to the Bible, I can tell. You're used to the Bible. You're used to being fed. Uh, you want to shout. You want to get in. You want to connect. You want something from the Lord. And I just want to congratulate Chris Wilde on being a great word ministry for this church. Come on. can Put your hands together. And, uh, you know, he just, uh, he's an intelligent, intelligent species, too. Uh, you know, he's, he's uh, got a great vocabulary. Uh, I tried to help him with that. Um, I'm kidding. Um, he's got great theology, which a lot of young guys nowadays don't really love theology, but he has a great love for theology and good Bible thinking. You're blessed to have 
Chris and Kelly and their leadership and, and the rest of the family and the team and everybody else. And so thank you, Chris, for letting me be a part of your life and, and what's going on here and, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, now, um, everyone say, I'm ready. ready. I'm in. in. Preach to me. I'll get something out of it. Are you ready? All right, here we go. I'm going to talk from uh, Revelation chapter 1 and 2, and then Acts chapter 2, 11, 19, and then we're going to dip into a few other things, but that's kind of where I'm headed this morning. I'm going to talk about something that when I use the word, you will know what I mean, kind of. It won't be uh, something that's so obscure that you'll say, what is he kind of talking about? You'll know from my message title, the making of a church's mantle, that I'm talking about the word mantle. If you've been around church or Bible at all, you would understand the word mantle. I'm going to be talking about that specific kind of a word in just a moment. In Revelation chapter 1 and 2, it talks about the seven stars and the voice and Jesus meeting there with the man, the writer, which is the Apostle John of the Patmos. And it says that the seven stars, Revelation 1 verse 20, are the uh, stars of the seven churches, the angels, the anglios is what is used there, which is not angel as in angel in heaven, angel as in messenger. So Revelation chapter 1 and 2 is not talking about the angels that bring the seven vials and the trumpets and all the stuff later on that he'll be talking about. These are the angels of the churches that are the Greek word for messenger. They're the messengers of the church. And it says in the book of Revelation that the messengers of the church are the stars in the Lord's hands. And so those stars belong to Jesus and they're in his hands and then he gives them as messengers to the church. But the messenger does not belong to the people. The messenger belongs to the head of the church. The messenger belongs to Jesus. They're in his hands. He's the one who calls them. He makes them. He anoints them. He gives them the words to speak. And that's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to be a messenger of the word of God and the spirit to the seven churches as in our own church to our own churches. And so one of the phrases that's used that you will also recognize in Revelation chapter 2 and 3 is he that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so in Revelation chapter 2 with the seven churches of Asia Minor, which were the seven main apostolic centers for that nation and beyond that nation, it says that the Lord would speak to those churches. And those churches were to have an ear to hear what the Lord is saying to that church. And so every one of the messengers brought a word to the church. Every word was different for each one of the seven. And so I, I want to drop this into your heart this morning, that the Holy Spirit speaks to individuals. Obviously, he speaks to every one of us, and we want to listen. And during the prayer conference and beyond, our, our uh, ears are open. Uh, we're awakened. We want to hear from the Holy Spirit, want God to speak to us. And, and we take the word that God gives us, and we try to uh, get the rhema. Uh, we try to get that word and live it out. There's also a rhema word that comes to the church, and you need to lean in just as much as if God was going to speak to you as an individual, because if God speaks to you as a congregation, it's that word that will shape your individual life. And so you need to lean in to the corporate word, the word that comes to the church. And I'm going to give you a church word this morning, a word to your congregation, a word to capital church, a word that I feel for you. And that word is something that you can take and shape. 
I've learned from pastoring for many years and also uh, from leading and helping other pastors that the, the church that we belong to has a lot to do with our personal destiny. Uh, the church that we get involved with has a lot to do with lifelong relationships. The church we're involved with has a lot to do with maybe who we might marry, uh, who our children will marry, uh, who we might work for. A lot of you work for people that are business people in this church. And so your life is intertwined in the community of God, which is supposed to be. And so it would behoove us. It would be right for us to think that we want to build the greatest church possible because the greatest church possible will have the greatest influence on my life. And I want that influence to be deep and wide and be a favor of God upon me as an individual. Can I hear an amen out there? And so we want the church to be successful. We want it to be favored. We want the church to be long-lasting. We don't have to uh, think about short-lived uh, involvement, but, but long-lived involvement with children and children's children, etc. I've learned four things about what makes church destinies. Number one, we know church destiny is rooted in the church's relationship to the Lord. Obviously, he's the head of the church. We should relate to the head of the church. And the destiny of the church is hidden in how we relate to Jesus, the head of the church, how the congregation relates to Jesus as the center of the church. It's your responsibility, my responsibility, not just to have devotions for ourselves, but also to pray for our church and also to, to position ourselves to bring intercession before the Lord about the congregation, the community of God that I'm involved with. My relationship to Jesus has a lot to do with the destiny of this church. Number two, I've learned that supernatural empowering of the church happens when it's rooted in the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit is the builder of the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who calls the church. The Holy Spirit is the one who shapes and makes and blesses and moves. And your relationship to the Holy Spirit becomes very important for the shaping of the church. The power that shapes capital is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the more open we are, the more hungry we are, the, the more we give way to the Holy Spirit, better things happen inside the church. Number three, I've learned that the character of the church ultimately has the greatest influence on how the legacy of the church will be and the longevity of the church and the, the important word here is the influence of the church. It's the char character of the church that influences. I've been around a while, and I've seen some great churches come and go, and great churches can be great for a season in their charisma, gifting, and power, but if they don't have foundations of integrity and character, their longevity passes away even before the generation is up and running, and they don't have the long influence. We need to be in a church that has character, a church that has integrity. We need leaders that have integrity. I thank God for Ken Wilde and Connie who have birthed this church in integrity. I thank God for Chris and Kelly who have integrity of leadership and character of God. I want you to give your leaders a big hand right now and say, thank God they have character. They're not going to do something stupid, something something sloppy, something that would violate 
the integrity of God and God's word. They haven't. For, for decades now, they have proven, and this church has proven to be a church of integrity and a church of character. Now, number four, we know that each church has its own what? Its own unique destiny. Capital has its own unique destiny. You have your own unique personality. The personality of this church is a blending of uh, the past and the miracles and stuff that has happened and the gifts and the ministries that are blended together that actually make the personality of this church. The way you go about things, the way you do things, the, the way you laugh, the way you carry on, the way you respond to stories. And it's all part of your unique personality. You're, you're not a deadpan church. You're, you're not a church that never laughs. You're not a church that doesn't uh, want to have fun with whatever you do. You're not a church that doesn't have kind of a, a grace for excellence and, and technological things that could update the church and make it happen. You're, you're, a, you're a good modern vibe church. You're cool. You're, you're a skinny jean church. You got the vibe. You got the ability. You got the capacity. You, you're cool. You're you're what people want to be involved with, and there's nothing wrong with it. It's your personality. Your personality is to laugh and have fun and be casual and, and to greet everybody, accept everybody. You allow men to lead. You allow women to lead. You have young people coming up. You have a great grace upon you. Come on. Can somebody shout hallelujah? Uh, it's a great thing to have personality. And personality is just kind of gets into every nook and cranny of the church. You have dominant distinctives. Your dominant distinctives would be in your prayer and your worship and your fivefold ministry and your lead. I mean, there's dominant distinctives. We're not talking about those things, but they're here that are derived from your heritage. And this is what we're talking about the mantle that is on this church. All right, so you have a destiny. Yep, got it. We got destiny. You have a personality, got it? We got a personality. We have distinctives, absolutely. We have belief system and distinctives. You also have a thing called a mantle. And the mantle is a word that I'm going to use now to describe your church and to lay it out so that you can understand this word because God puts mantles on people. Now, you would, you would know the story. If we went there, you would immediately recognize the Elijah, Elisha story where in 1 Kings 19 where he passes his mantle over to Elisha and then he mentors that man and then later on he takes the full mantle and he hits the river and crosses over the school of the prophets and, and Elijah did seven miracles, and Elisha's going to do 14 miracles, and, and so the mantle is passed over, and the mantle that is passed is a double portion mantle. He's actually going to do twice of everything that his teacher had shown him to do. He's going to do twice the miracles. He's going to speak to more kings. He's going to have more influence. He's going to do things that the other prophet didn't do. Why? Because that's what happens when you pass the mantle on. So we understand when a mantle comes on a person. I want to talk about the mantle coming on your church. And when it comes on the church, I want to just drop this right into your spirit immediately. I think there's a double portion mantle that comes on the church when you pass that mantle from one man like a Ken Wilde to a Chris Wilde. It's not 
that Kenwell had no more mantle, but he's passed a certain mantle unto his son, and his son already has a mantle. And so the mantle that Chris has, and the mantle that Ken has, and the mantle that the Holy Spirit has, and the mantle that God has made for him, it's not just a double portion mantle, it's quadruplet mantle. It's the mantle of God that's made so that this church can go further and faster and deeper and wider because that's what God does. He doesn't go backwards. He goes forward. He's the God of double portion, triple portion, quadruplet portion. He never is dingy with his mantles. And the mantle that's on him is the mantle that's on the church. The mantle on the church is the mantle on your family. The mantle on your family is a mantle that's going to affect your business. It's going to affect everything to do with your future. It's, a, it's, a, it's water. It's a Psalms 133, the anointing that runs down to the very hem of the garments. It, it just keeps flowing and flowing and flowing and flowing. And so we have the mantle. Here's my definition. If you would look at all the 14 Hebrew words and the six Greek words and go through all the family of words that had to do with this word mantle, Mantle, you would come up with my definition. I, I was serious, meaning I've saved you from a lot of work. I did it for you. But here's what mantle means. Mantle is a powerful anointing. The word anointing is in the same family as the word mantle. The mantle is a powerful anointing and call that rests upon a church, all the stuff that is woven together into the fabric of this church, the highs and the lows, the mountains and the valleys, the, the trials and the situations and the challenges and the blessings and the miracles. God is up there just always weaving together every one of these so that he can drop upon you a double portion mantle that is absolutely the majestic working of the Holy Spirit upon your church. It's a marvelous thing that the mantle is a specific call. Now, in the New Testament, Acts 4.33, he says, and great power, everyone say great power. The apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. Say great grace. Come on, everyone. Great grace. Great power. Great mantle. The great grace, the great power, is the great mantle. We have it. Great grace, great power, great mantle, how good it is. Now turn your neighbor and say, this is so good. I'm, I'm loving that. Why? Because there's great grace on this church, which means there's great power. And the word grace is the ideology of the mantle. It's the same in the word family, that, that empowering thing that comes on a person also comes on the church. Now, the mantle can be seen in a person's life, as, as I've already said, and you understand that, you get that, okay, a person is mantled. It also comes on a family. And the family like teachers or doctors 
or politicians or uh, carpenters or uh, just start going through the whole thing. It's amazing how when you get around certain families that the dad's a doctor and the mother was a nurse and the son's going to be a doctor and the daughter's going to be in the medical world and all of them, you're sitting around a hospital when you have dinner with them. I mean, every one of them's talking about their medical experience and, and what's going on and you kind of feel dumb with them because they're all so smart and they're talking about, you know, I did a surgery the other day and, and, and I'm thinking, really, you know, what age? I wouldn't want you operating on me. And so you, you think you're awful young to be doing this, but that's the way it is. The older you get, the younger they look. And so the mantle on the family, sometimes as teachers, you get into a home and the dad's a teacher, the mom's a teacher, the son's a principal, the, the daughter's an author and a writer, and, and it just seems like they have the genes and the understanding. You get to the business guy and his children are all involved with the business and they're all prospering and, and things are going on. When you get to the church, it's the same way. The church can have families that have ministries in it, ministries within that mantle, because it's a grace on the family. The grace on the family kind of extends itself, and you start seeing things in the Old Testament. If you were born into the tribe of Levi, you got to be a Levitical priest. If you weren't born into it, you couldn't be a Levitical priest. It's just the way it was. You couldn't wake up one morning and say, uh, okay, God, I want that calling right there. God says, you can't. You're not in that tribe. Now, that was the Old Testament. You're not in that tribe. Ironic priest, sorry. You're not in that house. You're not going to be able to do what they do. This is your calling. This is what your tribe does. All the 12 tribes had a specific responsibility and a specific calling and we have to give ourselves to that. Every person in this room has rights to your mantle, your grace. Just don't compare yourself to other people's coats. Don't be sitting there and saying, I wish I had that coat. It's not fair they have that coat. You know, really, they have problems in their life and they have that kind of a mantle. If I was God, I wouldn't give them that kind of a mantle. If I was God, I would give me that kind of a mantle. And so we can compare and compete and lose. If you're trying to compare and compete with other people's callings and giftings, you're losing the time to develop your own. Don't waste the time. Develop your call and your gifting. Every church had a mantle, New Testament. Jerusalem. Okay, Jerusalem church. Acts chapter 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Acts 8 starts Antioch. 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13. Acts 15 comes back to Jerusalem and then it goes out to other cities from that point. Acts 15 is a turning point to many different churches and cities. They're going to start with Corinth and Galatia and on and on. And so when you read the book of Acts, there are churches with mantle. The Jerusalem church had a specific mantle on them. What was their mantle? More doctrinal, more apostolic. Their mantle was more pattern. Their mantle was more birthing. Their mantle had something to do with the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's what Jerusalem apostles took to every other church in the whole Asia Minor. They had a mantle for that. They were 
birthed in doctrine. They were birthed in the apostolic. They were birthed in Acts 2 outpouring of the Holy Spirit speaking in tongues. And so they took that mantle and they shared it with other people. They're the ones who created the deacons. They're the ones who created the Stephen scenario. They're the ones who went through that. So Jerusalem had a specific mantle upon it. We use Acts chapter 2 all the time because they, they had breaking of bread and prayers and the teaching of the word and etc. And so you look at Acts 2 and say, okay, Jerusalem church. Now there's also other churches besides Jerusalem. There's the Ephesus church. Ephesus was equal to Jerusalem. Ephesus was maybe one of the most balanced apostolic prophetic fivefold ministry churches that existed in the first hundred years of the New Testament church. The Ephesus church had a love for the word and doctrine and the subjective stuff like the prophetic and the apostolic. They, they, they were a, a deep and wide kind of a church. People don't talk much about Ephesus, but Ephesus was a game changer for the churches. And then when you move from Jerusalem to Ephesus, you go to Corinth. Corinth was, what would you do without Corinthians? What would you do without First and Second Corinthians. Well, Second Corinthians more about Paul, everything he suffered. I like Second Corinthians because it lets me in on Paul's suffering, and I'm glad he suffered so that I can read about his sufferings and not whine so much about mine. And so Second Corinthians is kind of that way. It tells you everything you went through, and oh, my God, it's a lot. But First Corinthians is the book that is written, and it shows the church that had the gifts of the Holy Spirit. What would we do without First Corinthians 12? What would you do without 1 Corinthians 13? What would you do without 1 Corinthians 14? What about 1 Corinthians 5 to throw all the sinning saints out of the church? Which you don't skip 5 and go to 12. But it's there. The, the Corinthians had a charismatic mantle. It's amazing. They were the most flawed in their character, they had Paul rebuke them about some pretty horrible stuff. And yet they had the most to say about the gifts. And it tells me two things. One, well, I'm not preaching about the Corinthians, so let's just move on. Okay. It tells me that God doesn't mind putting gifts on flawed people. It also tells me that gifts do not make character. Good stuff. It's, that's good stuff right there. All right. I'm going to give you a definition now of the grace mantle on your church. Corporate grace. Here's what it says. Now, every local church has access to this definition. Whether they believe it or not, they are in it. Corporate grace is a God-given deposit in a local church that empowers it to serve God together in a special way. That grace that empowers us to serve God in a special way is a grace that comes upon the church through its founding leaders. You, you cannot separate the church's mantle from the fivefold ministry that made the church. Can't separate it. And so if the church has a apostolic pastor, the church will become apostolic. 
And that church will think apostolic. They will plant churches. They will send missionaries. They will think outside the wall all the time. The whole congregation thinks that way. They give that way. They are naturally that way. They can't imagine a church not being that way because they have an apostolic gift in the midst. And that gift does. If you're a prophetic church and you have a prophetic pastor, and you're used to everything being, and the Lord said, and I saw, and I had a dream, and the Lord urged, and this is what the Lord is saying to us. And they come expecting the prophetic preacher to, to proclaim the word of the Lord. And so the whole church kind of becomes prophetic. All of them with their business, with their kids, they're, they're praying and getting words and visions. And when you get into a church like that, you think, wow, how do these people get so much from God? You know, I'm a teacher, and I have to dig so deep to get that one thing. And they just get it by going, hmm, and it comes to them. How does this work? Well, if you're under the mantle of a prophetic gift, it affects everything you do as a church. If you have an evangelist pastor, it affects everything that church does. Everything is about that prodigal, that unsaved, reaching the city, baptizing people, celebrating salvations, every services, every sermon, no matter where they started, they say, I'm going to preach on stewardship. It ends up on evangelism. I'm going to preach on the book of Revelation, but it ends up on Jesus is knocking at the door and everyone can be saved. It, it's always that because that's the gifting, that's the driving force, that's the mantle. The best, I think, with Ephesus and with Antioch, as I'm going to deal with in a moment, the best is to have all five ministries of Ephesians 4, 11, 12, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, resident or influential in the congregation. So that you don't just say, okay, we're an apostolic church. That's all we're going to have because that's who he is. No, you can, you can also be prophetic. Okay, we're a prophetic church. We love presbytery. We love prophecy. We love song. We love the deep stuff. We want the river to go so deep that even God doesn't know where we're at. We're just going to we're gonna go down. We're going to get down there. We're going to just drink in the Holy Spirit every time. Okay, well, that, there's a place for that, but it's not either or. It's all. You have to believe for all. You have to believe that your church can be apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, pastoral, and teach, and have elders, have deacons, have miracles, have the city, have salvations, have prodigals. Come on, give me a clap and a shout this morning. You got to believe for the whole thing. You got to think like a little piggy. You got to want it all. It's the grace that comes on specific kinds of churches. Okay. Uh, we're going to go home in a few minutes. How many of you are getting something out of this? Are, are you... Taking it in, are you? Now, it's, it's not a word to you as the Holy Spirit speaking to you, as in the Holy Spirit, Spirit speaking to the church, but it really is the Holy Spirit speaking to you and the church and your future. In Acts 11, I want you to go there and I want you to circle of you. You know, I don't know how you do that on the phone. I guess you do it with the finger thing and, you know, I, 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 I still have a hard time texting, uh, let alone coloring my text and, you know, 
although I do like all the little things you can put on an Instagram or a text and all the fire and, you know, and I, sometimes I text somebody and I'll put 10 of those down and, and they'll say, which one did you mean? All. What's your problem? I'm being creative here. So however you're taking notes, you're in Acts chapter 11, which is, if you're reading the book of Acts, Acts 11 really belongs, this is my personal opinion, but I didn't put the canicity of scripture together, obviously. But Acts 11 belongs as Acts 9. It should not be Acts 11. Why? Acts 8, on what happens in Acts 8 with the scattering, takes up in this verse, continued right from Acts 8, about verse 18, where it says, and they were scattered and went out preaching everywhere. And then if you put Acts 11:23, and when he came, he had seen the grace of God, and they had gone to these cities, it's that Acts 11 belongs right there in Acts chapter 8. And the continue of the history is that they were scattered and they went to the different cities and it tells you where they went and they went to Antioch in Syria and these are the lay preachers that went. These are not the apostles. No apostles started the church at Antioch. It was started by a supernatural something and a lot of lay people and leaders. And then later on, it had the other leaders that came along. But you have in Acts chapter 11 a very unique church that is going to become one of the most powerful churches in all the New Testament called the church at Antioch. What would we do without Acts 11, 12, and 13? We would be missing a window into the church that Jerusalem doesn't give us. Ephesus doesn't give us. But Antioch gives it to us. So, with my last 45 seconds as the clock runs down. Yes, I have permission to go two minutes more. Chris never ends. You always end on time, don't you? No pastor ends on time. If they tell you that, they're a big liar. They don't end on time. I never did. But I blamed it on the Holy Spirit. Well, I couldn't help it. I mean, God was moving. You want me to quench the Holy Spirit? Say, yes, pastor. Would you please one time quench the Holy Spirit so we can see what it feels like to have a schedule? No. No. That would be a bad idea for you to get a taste of things too orderly. My gift is to disorder. All right, Acts 11, it says in verse 23, then he came, Barney is the person here, Barnabas. When he came, I want you to note this. If you're taking notes and you hear me say it, I want you to get this. When he came, this is Antioch, he had seen the grace of God or the mantle. He saw it. He went into their atmosphere and he says, I, I saw it. Later on, he reports back to all the apostles and he says, I saw it. I was in their 
atmosphere, and I saw the grace that was on this congregation. And it says in your Bible, verse 23, he saw the mantle, the grace of God. He was glad. And then he encouraged them. Don't, don't, don't veer off. Don't try anything else. Don't, don't, don't try to compare yourself to Jerusalem, Ephesus, anybody else. I'm telling you right now, you need to continue with purpose of heart and continue with the Lord as you are because you're on to something for yourself and the mantle of God, the grace that is on you is going to change this region. And I just encourage you to stay with your grace and stay with your purpose. And I'm saying to you this morning, as Frank DiMazio, friend of this house, I want you to be an Antioch church. I want you to be a double portion church. I want you to be all five-fold ministry church. I want you to continue in the purpose of God. I don't want you to be off. Don't compare yourself to any other denomination, any other spirit-filled church, any other friend that tells you, well, this our pastor preaches through the entire Bible verse by verse. What does your pastor do? You just say he preaches the word of God the way the Holy Spirit gives them to him. And we cover the Bible, but sometimes we start at the last verse and end up at the first verse. We, we you know, we, we cover it different. You don't have to compare. You don't have to compete. You are your own church. You have your own mantle, and God is blue. Blessing this church for the mantle that is on this church. He saw the effects. He saw the effects. He saw the effects of the mantle. And these people didn't even have a definition like I'm giving you. You're way ahead. They're just doing it. It's the manifestation of the favor on that church, the divine deposit, what God was doing. Now, when you go through it, and, and again, honestly, I'm not going to try to keep you long at all. Just, just get this said and get this done. But here's the mantle on the Antioch church. And I, I want to say, I think you're in Antioch more than a Jerusalem. I think you're Antioch. And because I, I say that doesn't make it, but I observe like Barnabas observed, I see it, I feel it. And I want to say, don't waver, don't veer, don't. Here's the mantle that's on you. One, the supernatural empowering mantle. It says, well, I can't preach each one of these, you know. I've got full notes in each one of them. But the supernatural empowering mantle comes under verse 21 where it says, the hand of the Lord is on them. The Lord's power was with them. And God was pleased with what he was doing, and he put his stamp of approval upon them by putting his hand. I want to say that I think the hand of the Lord is upon Capital Church. I think God has put his hand on this church. And the, and the hand of the Lord is not something you bargain for. It's not something somehow you find your own formula and secret sauce and you make God do it. The hand of the Lord is a sovereign choice. It's a choice for your mantle. He wove it together. He put his hand on it. And that hand is a supernatural empowering hand. Number two, it's the passion for the lost mantle. 
No matter what you do with teaching, preaching, and all the fivefold ministry, you're going to always have a passion for the lost. Come on, someone shout a big amen. A passion. Celebrate the lost. Celebrate the prodigal. Celebrate that mantle that is on you to reach. And it says, under great number, believed and turned. It encourages me because for so long uh, on the sidebar over here, as a, as a MDiv student and a, and a DMIN student and a, and a seminary teacher and traveler and book writer and trying to help pastors and trying to be, and I'm with both uh, evangelical and charismatic, et cetera, all the mix. I've always been plagued with the thought, why can't we have Holy Spirit churches that are doctrinally sound? Why, why can't we have Holy Spirit churches that are structurally right? Why can't we have supernatural power that is not weird? Why, why can't we do the miracles and not throw it out there as an advertisement? What, what, I, I think we want to be the kind of church that sees a great number of people added to the church through salvation, prodigals, return, and et cetera, because we're not weird with the Holy Spirit. We're just powerful with the Holy Spirit, but we're not weird with the Holy Spirit. And the unsaved and the prodigal can come in and a great number turned. Intentional contextualization and sound culture contextualization is something that Chris will preach on. All right, number three. You have a powerful grace mantle. The grace upon them was an atmosphere, a quality, a graciousness. I think you have that. The quality of graciousness, attractiveness, favor, uh, the enabling power to enable people to be their best. And I mean, you have a great grace mantle upon you. Number four, you have a unified purpose mantle that I feel in the house, uh, unity of heart, unity of spirit. You folks are, are in one heart, one spirit, one mind, one vision. You're moving. It's not a divisive, toxic atmosphere. It's not leaders that are all going seven different directions. You have a unified purpose mantle. You want to build a church with power, and you want to build a church that reaches people. You, you want to build a church that raises up young people, but you don't want to forget the old people. Why? Because I'm one of those people, and I don't want you forgetting me. Let's have Frank to speak. How old is he? I don't know if he could relate to our young people. We should have somebody younger in. Please, if that comes into your mind, it's a demonic attack. <laughs> Number five, you have a faith leadership mantle, and this is a fantastic mantle for this church. Good leaders full of the Holy Spirit. And verse 24 says, faith. Ken has always been a man of faith. That's why you're sitting on this property and everything with it. I, I saw it when there was nothing. Faith sees what others can't see. You know, we use the word episkopos in, in, in Timothy about the uh, Timothy Titus thing. If you desire the office of a bishop, you know, and all the qualifications. And so episkopos is an overseer. It's a pastor. But I beg to differ. I think episkopos is not a pastoral word. I think episkopos is a prophetic word. And this is why. Episcopos. Episcopos. Episcopos means to look over, 
and look beyond. We took it, pastoral oversee the people, but I take it as real leadership, see what is not there, they see beyond the obstacles, they see beyond the challenges, they begin to draw plans in the invisible realm because they think in the realm of faith, not in the realm of natural. I thought I'd throw that in. Number six, you're an apostolic equipping church. It shows that with your interns, your schools, and all the stuff you want to do. Apostolic, I, I mean, I would take one whole message on this because it is so rich, it is so right, it is so good. But you have teachers that can do this. You're an apostolic church. You're going to equip, you're going to train. And, and listen, you that are mid or older, if you're 55, 60, 65, uh, and we train leaders in our church, take up the mantle for giving money to make sure we can train leaders in our church. You get involved as a business person and give to the interns, give to the college, whatever you're going to have, because you want to raise up leaders in the local church. And so if they take an offering that has to do with somehow doing something that doesn't involve you at all, you're at that age, you, you've already been trained, and hey, I hope you find the money to do that. I want to challenge you. An apostolic church takes responsibility for everybody, and you begin to raise up sons and daughters that you've never had because you have the ability now to reach in. If you're old do not leave the young couples behind. Mentor. Speak faith into them. Carry them along. Be involved. Be pillars in the house of God. Seven, the prayer worship and counter mantle. You had that. You're doing it this weekend. Acts 13, 2. What would you do without Acts 13? While they were ministering to the Lord. While they were worshiping. So we know something about Antioch. They got directions in presence, in worship. Their ear was open during that time. Eight, the prophetic voice mantle, Acts 13, 2, when the Holy Spirit said, they were Holy Spirit word people, and when the Holy Spirit spoke, they moved. They were listening for that word. They had what we now have created another word for called presbytery or prophetic week or you know, laying on the hands and, and praying over people and prophesying. It's all good. It's all right. You should do it. And there is a place for that prophetic to touch people. How many here have ever been prophesied over? How many here have never been prophesied over? Come tonight, line up. My Karen will give you a word. Okay. <laughs> he never runs out. He'll stay to midnight. He's got stamina. He's got anointing. He's got a word for everybody. I'm flying home. Bless you, Mike. Honestly, he does. Number nine, last one. I'm a few minutes over, but we're going to end right here. A God-sized vision mantle. They laid hands on the people around them and sent them out. They were over the wall, outside of us. It's not just about us. We're reaching others. We're planting churches. We're sending missionaries. We're taking the city. We're, we're doing things that are outside our walls. We want to be an outside-the-wall people. A God-sized vision is never just within four walls that you built. It's got to be everything out. All right? Everyone say yes. Scripture. I end with this. Platform musicians, if you want to come, if not, I'll play the piano for myself. I don't know how. Revelation 3.8. This is my word to you. 
for 2020. This is my word for you as I end the weekend. This is a scripture for you to think about. Revelation 3.8. I have set before you an open door, and no one can shut it. For you have sufficient strength because you've kept my word and have not denied me. All right, let me take it, exegete all these precious little words out, and elongate them and add to them and give you a full reading of this scripture. Listen to this. Take notice. Mark it. I have set before you a door open, and it shall continue open until you are able to enter in. You will enter in sooner than you think, and when your moment of opportunity comes, your strength will not fail you. It will not be wasted. You will have the conditions favorable for you to enter into this new door. You shall enter in at once because I have opened the door. Amen. Come on, shout a big amen. amen. Take notice. Mark it. I've set before you. You won't miss it. A moment of opportunity. Every business person, every college student, Every individual in the church, good scripture for you for this year. The door, market, is set before you. God will wait for your strength. He'll take care of the adversaries. He'll make sure this thing can happen. You're going to be an Antioch church. You're going to be a blessed people. You're going to be a double portion people. You're going to be a new door people. And your doors are not the sides of the doors of the house. They're the sides of garage doors. So I don't want you to think of little doors. Think of big doors. Think of a garage door opening. And then all the stuff, say, wow, all that's mine. God says, yeah, this is the door I want for you. It's not that piddly little door over there. It's this door that I've opened for you, a wide open, magnificent door that no one can shut, the door of opportunity, supernatural. Come on, church, jump to your feet like toast out of the toaster.